If you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to be doing our, we're going to roll up our sleeves and do our work in 2 Corinthians 4 this morning. A great, great passage about what Christian ministry should be, what it should look like, what it shouldn't be. And it's great for us to look at a passage like this with a new year upon us. I don't do this every year we start a new year, but we're, we're going to look at this text specifically when it comes to what we're supposed to do as a church, what we're supposed to be as a church. Um, a reminder, a reminder to me as a pastor, a reminder to you as a Christian, a reminder to us as a church. Uh, I'm calling this a ministry of distinction. So this is part two of a ministry of distinction. And if you weren't here last week, I'll bring you up to speed, so don't panic. I did see on Twitter this past week that one of our young people uh, who was taking notes called it a ministry of extinction. So... Um, I think the way to not have a ministry of extinction is if you have a ministry of distinction. So we don't want to be extinct. The reason I want to call this a ministry of... Ex- uh, of <laughs> I couldn't have planned that. Of distinction is because... Not because we want to be distinct from other Christians because we're better or we're different or we're on the cutting edge or anything like that. Uh, I'm using distinct as in distinctly Christian. Um, It's even related to a word, the word holy. We're we're set apart, we're different, we're not following the crowd. And in the first century, even when Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, um, the the, the crowd was wanting to go in wrong directions, unbiblical directions. Uh, And the same is true now it's always been true. There's always deviance and it's always easy. If there's Jesus who's the way and the truth and the life, it's easy to deviate because there's a million and one ways to deviate from that one unique Savior, Jesus. So a ministry of distinction, there are six distinctives, if you're taking notes, that I'm going to highlight uh, together with you. We want to be a faithful church. We want to be faithful Christians, a faithful ministry. So we're going to follow Paul's example here in his faithfulness to Christ. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. First distinction for Omaha Bible Church, for you and for me, gospel ministry is encouraging. This is review. Gospel ministry is encouraging. Look there at verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry, this act of service, that's what ministry is. We're serving one another. We're serving in the name of Jesus Christ, serving unbelievers. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It's encouraging because we've got this great ministry and the ministry is of proclamation. In chapter 3, he tells us it's the new covenant ministry. It's the ministry of telling people how they can be accepted by God. It's even called uh, in chapter 3, verse 9, the ministry that brings righteousness. And this, this is encouraging. What are, what are we doing as a church? What are we doing with uh, unbelievers? What are we reminding believers of? We're reminding everyone everywhere. We're telling them for the first time, everyone everywhere. God requires righteousness, which means adherence to His law. You're not righteous. You're a sinner. And there's one way to be accepted by God, and that's through the righteousness of Christ. If you believe in Christ, if you trust in Christ, if you rest in Christ, His perfect obedience, His perfect righteousness is given to you. His perfect atoning sacrifice brings you forgiveness. So all the bad is gone. And all the good has been given to you and God accepts you. How about this? 
as if you were as perfect as the Lord Jesus Christ. That is encouraging. That is encouraging to people who need encouragement. It should encourage us that we have that privilege week in and week out, day in and day out, even though there's all kinds of garbage in our life and garbage going on in churchianity and all around us in so many ways it could be really discouraging and a downer. Men and women of Omaha Bible Church and boys and girls, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. By the way, when we don't preach about the righteousness of Christ, it's no wonder we lose heart. And Paul will talk about that. A second distinction that the Apostle Paul covers in this text would be that gospel ministry is honest. It is honest. How about verse 2? But we have renounced disgraceful. We've said no to. We've turned away. We've rejected disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We are committed by God's grace of being honest. We're not going to try to tweak it. We're not going to try to change it. We're not going to try to doctor it up. We're not going to try to soften it or harden it. We're not going to try to reseason it, repackage it, get creative with it. No, we're not going to do that. We renounce that kind of action. We've got the ministry that brings righteousness. The pure Word of God gospel of God. We don't want to deviate from that. We never want to deviate from that. It was the power of God unto salvation for us. Why would we want to change it so it's the power of something else for something else to someone else? It doesn't make any sense. Every person here who's a Christian is a Christian because of the work of Christ. By God's grace, you heard the gospel. By God's grace, God worked in your heart and you responded by faith. That's how you became a Christian. That's how anyone's ever become a Christian. And so it would make no sense at all to try to tinker with that somehow to draw a crowd. doesn't make sense. It's honest. We're going to tell the honest truth about Jesus. And that will be distinct. Let's move on to a third by way of review. Gospel ministry is simple. It is simple. Verse 2 goes on to say, if you look there, you'll see that it says, but in contrast to distorting God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, the truth plainly, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So when we're clear with God's word and the gospel, and we give God's word, we give the gospel, God is watching and we want to make sure that we're honoring Him when we talk about His Son. So we're telling the plain truth about His Son because it's before God. And also, those who are hearing us are hearing the actual truth. So, clear conscience. We didn't tell you something other than the gospel in the name of the gospel which led you to something other than salvation then there wouldn't be a clear conscience. No, we told you the truth. Told you the truth about Jesus, the truth about the gospel. It's straightforward, it's clear, it is simple. And in 2 Corinthians, he's always contrasting, we're not getting into it today, with people who don't make it simple. And somehow it's all, you know, cloaked and, and unclear overly nuanced, blurred, grayed out. No, just very simple, very clear because God and others, and that's what we're about. 
I do like to say I think clarity is underrated. This is a little bit of a tangent because that's what preachers do, so I'm just going to put my preacher hat on. and Clarity. We're trying to be clear with God's Word, clear with the Bible, clear with the truth about Jesus. There are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Apostle Paul, Peter, deal with that. Some things are hard, but for the most part, it's pretty easy. It's pretty straightforward. When I teach preaching classes, I do my very, very best to help those in the preaching class to do their very, very best, and their main thing is to make what is in the Bible clear so that when people like you right now looking at your Bible, you can read it and go, that's easy to understand. That's straightforward. That's, that's clear. I also tell those students, if someone tells you, oh, you're over my head, I say they're lying to you. I say to those students who want to be preachers, what you should hear when they say you're over my head is you're not clear. Okay? Too many times, even in the Apostle Paul's era, it's not always with bad motives, but people learn, you know, some multisyllabic words and they read the Puritans and they learn how to talk and they want to read Jonathan Edwards and all this and then they, 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 they try to talk this way and it's intimidating and then people either think they're super smart and they're not. Or intimidated by them, for the most part, the great, great preachers of church history have been those who are really smart and can communicate it to anyone. Our ministry should be a very simple ministry. We want to be clear about Jesus, clear about the gospel, clear about his word, clear about what it means to be forgiven. It's, think how insane it would be to be otherwise. Okay, off the tangent. Sorry about that. Oh, maybe just, uh, just a little something extra. I realize that when, when people come, let's say here on a Sunday, but it could be over coffee somewhere or over dinner with a friend or cross cubicles. I mean, we are a different culture, church culture, right? A different kind of environment. So we use words like justification and redemption, right? Which we don't normally use. And we use words like propitiation. But... We should at least be able to explain what those things mean if we have a clear ministry. The Apostle Paul does that. We can at least explain them. It doesn't mean we have to water things down. That's not what we're talking about. But we can be clear about what they mean. So if someone wants to know, they can definitely know. I told you several years ago now, but it's a great illustration, I think, about when I took my two young boys when they were younger to a World Series game. And I hate to say this because I'm an American and I like apple pie and I used to have a Chevrolet, but they'd never been to a baseball game before. You know, they're like 10 years old. But each of them wanted to know about baseball. And within five minutes, I kid you not, I'm just off the top of my head, they understood. They understood the rules, they understood how it all worked, and they were all in because they wanted to know. And I wasn't a baseball expert, by the way, right? But I knew enough to be able to explain it to them for them to, now they always want to go to the World Series games. It's similar when it comes to Bible things. If someone, now obviously God's grace and all that kind of stuff and the Holy Spirit, but if somebody wants to understand things, I want to be able to make it clear to them so they can understand. I'm not veiling it from them. That's not my job because I want to sound smart. I want to know it well enough to make it real clear and real simple. Gospel ministry, our ministry, the ministry we share in should be simple. Okay? Not watered down, but 
clear, simple. Let's move on to another one. Let's move on to number four. Is this new ground? Did, we only got three done last week? Awesome. Okay, so number four. Here we go. Number four, another distinction for us. Gospel ministry is never broken. It is never broken. How about verse three? And even if our gospel, our good news proclamation about Jesus Christ and His righteousness and forgiveness in Him, even if our gospel is veiled, if it's hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now let's first start with how heart-wrenching that reality is. And it would have been for the Apostle Paul, it, is for, it should be for us. That, that some people, they, they don't get it. It's veiled to them. The Apostle Paul, so burdened like in Romans, longing for his, his, his fellow Jews to believe in Jesus for salvation. Broken-hearted because people are not believing. It's, 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 it's horrible that that happens, but we need to understand, you need to understand, and I need to understand, it's not that unbelief doesn't come because the gospel we're proclaiming is broken. Unbelief doesn't come, rejection doesn't come because somehow the gospel is needing improvement. Okay? We, we, we don't need to take surveys to find out what people are looking for and then give that to them because it has to keep changing. It's never broken. It doesn't need fixing. It doesn't need tinkering. The old, old story is the eternal story, right? Oh, we have to be relevant and let's pursue relevance. Oh, how can we make the gospel relevant? Well, one way to ensure being irrelevant is to pursue relevance. It's guaranteed fact. What we want to do is have the eternal gospel from the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaim good news, that's what gospel means, salvation in Christ. And if it is veiled, sometimes it is, so people can't see clearly, it's not veiled because the gospel needs a fixin'. It's veiled, what does our text say? It's veiled to those who are perishing. This is so critical that we get this and we understand this. Because I do long for people to believe in Jesus. I have dear, dear, dear friends and relatives and I want them to believe in Christ for salvation. And in some ways I think to myself, how, how is it that they don't get it? And there's something in me that wants to maybe do some tinkering and some changing so that they will then believe it. And the Apostle Paul is digging his heels in. That's not what the issue is. Okay? Maybe it's because you're theologically uninformed. Theology is the study or understanding of God and His ways. See, some people don't know enough good theology, so what they do is their methods go off the rails and they do all kinds of crazy things. Maybe they're even earnest because they want people to become Christians. I do too. But we have to have good enough, biblical enough theology learning today from the Apostle Paul. It's veiled not because somehow you've got to change the message. It's veiled to those who are perishing. The problem is with the, the hearer, not with the message, not with the Savior. And we're going to say more about this, but we at least need to understand that. We, we, we've got to be, if we're going to be a faithful, distinctly Christian ministry, we've got to be in a gospel rut, okay? In a good sense. It's, it's the same thing. It's the reality about Christ. It's the reality about Christ. It's the reality about Christ. It's so easy to forget. The Lord Jesus knew it was so easy for you to forget. 
That's why at the end of the service, for example, as a matter of fact, right? Here's the illustration right here. We're going to eat bread and we're going to drink wine and we're going to do it in remembrance of Him. Think shedding of blood, giving His body over. It's about the gospel reality that we so easily forget. And in Second Corinthians, or excuse me, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's to do, to do this until He comes again. So until He comes again, we've got that reminder. Every time you celebrate the Lord's Supper, participate in communion, whichever title you would like to use. It's in remembrance of Him. Oh, it's not about you earning your way. It's about Him earning your way. And not only is that good for you to remember, it's good for you to remember so that when you tell someone the good news, it actually is the good news about Jesus. So good and so helpful. He goes on to say, still number four here. In verse four, if you'd look there with me. In their case, okay, the ones who are perishing, the God of this world, that would be Satan, everyone agrees on that, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I mean, just let that settle in a little bit. I love the way the Apostle Paul really, really emphasizes how great the gospel is. The problem isn't with the gospel. What is the gospel? Seeing the light of the gospel, seeing the light, light gives clarity, right? So they can see, seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory, the grandeur, the greatness, the awesomeness, the unmatchedness to make something up, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing greater than God, right? And in and, and the glory of Christ, the image of God, there's, there's nothing greater than the gospel. It's the way to know God. It's the way to know the ultimate. It's, it, it, it's, it's not broken. It's not irrelevant. So stop trying to be relevant with your idiocy, right? This is crazy. So he emphasizes the truthfulness, the grandeur, the greatness, the ultimateness of Christ to make the point the problem isn't with Jesus. The problem is with the satanically blinded unbeliever. So don't play the fool trying to appeal to them. Now, I'm cross-referencing in my mind. Paul, Paul would have us to know in, uh, in Romans chapter 10, the, 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 the gospel, faith, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of Christ. So we, we preach the gospel to spiritually blind people, spiritually dead people. But, that, but the, the power of God unto salvation, Romans 1, is the gospel. We stick to the gospel. That's where the power is. The power is not trying to figure out what they want and giving it to them. Have good enough theology to never forget 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 4, 3. Righteousness, the Christ, the righteousness of Christ credited to you by faith, gospel, good news. And what do you have if you have that? You have the glory of Christ. You, you, you have God. I... 
probably quote it too often, but I, I just can't get it out of my head when Charles Spurgeon, 100 or so years ago in London, one of the most famous preachers ever, was dealing with these kinds of issues, the pressures to change, to alter, to tweak, to compromise, to figure out what people want. He, he likened those preachers to clowns. Clowns who are not feeding the sheep, clowns who are amusing the goats. What do clowns do? Clowns try to do anything and everything, even the idiocy level, to get a laugh, to get attention. Okay? We, we whether it's the preacher or the Christian proclaimer, because we're all called to proclaim, we don't want to be the clowns. Sadly, evangelicalism is filled with clowns. We don't want to be clowns. We're not, we're, this, isn't, no, this isn't a trifling matter. We want to tell the truth about the glory of God in Christ. There couldn't be a more serious matter. There couldn't be a more wonderful matter. It's good news. It's the best news that you can be forgiven. You can be accepted. God accepts you fully and completely and entirely to the point where there are, there, there are no distinctions because if you're believing in Jesus, you're in Christ, you're accepted. I mean, and we should probably keep going. Oh, I just want, I want, to, I want to encourage you to, to have some good stick to to be in a good gospel rut. Sometimes people say to me, so, so what's in store? What's the next big thing for Omaha Bible Church? I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know. I think we might teach the Bible next week. I mean, I'm like, I, I don't know. What, what do you want me to say? I mean, we could do things better for sure, right? And, and we, we want to do things better and, ha- and have different emphases. But really, in one sense, it's the old, old sto- story of redemption in Christ. It's the good news about the glory of God in the face of Jesus and there's nothing better than that and it's what everybody needs. It's what I need to hear about today. The gospel's never broke. Let's move on to number five. Fifth distinction of gospel ministry, Christian ministry, by God's grace, we would want to have this kind of ministry. Gospel ministry is selfless. It is selfless. How about verse 5? Look there. For what we proclaim, right? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news. It's the preaching word. For what we herald, what we announce is good. Uh, For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. I so love that. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. How does he say it exactly again? We proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It's great. Now, most people would say that's right. I mean, that just sounds right because it would be selfish to preach ourselves. But it seems that the Apostle Paul is dealing with accusers who are accusing him of preaching himself. Maybe it's because he's so bold. Maybe it's because he's so clear. 
Maybe it's because he's so steady and unchanging that now he's so dogmatic, can't even change with the times, that the Apostle Paul, he's just all about preaching himself. And he's saying, no, no, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. And you, 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 you can take it to the bank that we are going to keep doing it. And it is preaching because there's authority involved because it's not just how I feel and it's not just my opinion. We're talking about historic realities. We're talking about redemptive realities. Jesus came to earth and he grew up. He didn't just stay in his mom's arms. And he spoke and interpreted his actions so we can know these things. And so he preaches. And that could be interpreted as arrogance. He's saying, I preach, but I don't preach myself. I preach Christ. I preach Christ. Now, think about this with me a little bit, if you would. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of sermons, and I've preached some of them to my um, shame. And even under the guise of expository preaching, Bibles open, have been self-sermons. Because I'm going to show you five ways that you can do this. And eight steps for accomplishing this. And 16 different various and sundry ways to accomplish this. And we're going to mine the Bible for timeless truths that apply to your life. Now there's a place for those kinds of applications. But I want you to know that the Apostle Paul first and foremost, was committed to preaching Christ in all of the Bible. We don't preach ourselves and how we can do this and how we can do that. And if you just follow my example, and here's how you can do this. Oh, he's such a good preacher. And oh, there, there it is in the Bible. Jesus did this, and so we are going to do this. Well, have fun with that. Jesus did that so he could be the perfect redeemer that you can rest in and then follow his example. We preach Christ. I was was taught by many, many people in many, many books that the Bible is not about redemption. I think the Bible is about redemption. Genesis 3 onward. They're looking, they're waiting, they're anticipating, not for five ways you can accomplish this, that, or the other thing but they're longing and waiting for none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who came to save his people from their sins, not by three steps, but by what he would accomplish. We don't preach ourselves with Bibles open even. We don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ. And and I love what he says even about that when he says, Jesus Christ as Lord. Think, Think in these terms. Jesus Christ as the ultimate Jesus Christ as the everything. Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient redeemer, ultimate deliverer, king. He's, he's Lord. He, he's the grandest. He's the greatest. He's all you need as in that. He's Lord of all your favorite Bible characters. So we don't preach them. We preach Him. We preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Oh, but let me tell you this amazing, amazing story about this Bible character. We preach Christ as Lord. Guess what? Daniel was a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I'm so glad he was brave. I'm so glad he trusted in the sovereignty of God. But you know what? He was a sinner. Jesus, we preach Jesus Christ as 
Lord over all of them, over everything as the one you ultimately need. It is amazing. It is amazing. Christ. It's no wonder, that this, this was going to be my conclusion, but I can't help myself. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, it's no wonder that the Apostle Paul talks about, I came and I knew nothing else among you. He's a smart guy, well-educated. I came and I determined, I resolved, I made my mind up ahead of time, he says. When I showed up in Corinth, where everybody wants to be impressed with sophistry, when I showed up, I knew nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So good. So just a short history lesson. Off the top of my head, we're going to, let's go mid-1800s, late-1800s, early 20th century, 1900s. When you have massive Christian denominations becoming theologically liberal, whether it was in Presbyterianism or in the Methodist Church or in the Lutheran Church or it was all over the place, Baptist churches, when when you have massive, massive numbers of people not believing in supernatural things anymore, like the resurrection of Jesus, like the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, miracles, whatever it might be. When, when, When we had that happening, churches didn't all close down. We like the social gathering, we like belonging, we like being apart, the preachers like their salary, right? So what we did, I'm saying we, generally speaking, what we did was we started mining the Bible for timeless truths. That's where that comes from in our recent kind of era. Used to be, it's all about redemption from A to Z, from the beginning to the end. It's amazing that God has a purpose and a plan before the foundation of the world. The sovereign God orchestrates and plans and, and, and has this redemptive plan for the future, a la for, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And, and it's unfolding throughout the Old Testament history and the types and the shadows, and they're all inspired and on purpose. And God is controlling them, and history's moving somewhere and then Hebrews 1 in these last days God has been speaking all along and God has been saving God but in these last days he's spoken to us in the apex the high point through his son yeah and and that's what you hear that's what you hear week in and week out different nuances different angles different different angle uh, perspectives different books of the Bible but it's about Christ but when we don't believe that anymore we got to talk about something. Dare to be a Daniel. Let's talk about the virtuous life of so-and-so and such-and-such. And isn't it weird now evangelicals sound like old-school liberals? If we really believe in the supernatural ultimate purpose and plan of God before the foundation of the world, it's easy to be Christocentric. And we need to be. 
we need to stop sounding like theological liberals because we're not. It's not broken. Got to be clear with it. Selfless. We preach Christ, the saving king, the forgiving king, the protecting king. So I'm going to do my best in 2019 to not be your life coach. Okay? And if you're doing Christian ministry and telling people the gospel, have it be the gospel, not life coach. And by the way, people need life coaches. You should find one if you need one. But I'm not him. But I am a Christian preacher and I'm going to tell you about Christ. So even if your life is a wreck, and it's going to be sometimes, in one way or another, you can rest in Christ. You can rest in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 12, he's accused of being very bold. That might be one reason why they accuse him of preaching himself. Okay, let's move on to number 6, and then we're going to be done. Number 6, and the final distinction, gospel ministry is the greatest. Gospel ministry is the greatest. The ministry we all share in as a Christian church, if it's a true gospel ministry, is the greatest. Because Jesus is the greatest. Here's the crescendo. Look at verse 6. For God. I, I, I mean, that's even great, right? What a statement. If, if he's making this stuff up, he's an arrogant piece of work. But if he's an apostle, chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, here we go. For God who said, light shine out of darkness. And he's assuming Christians are going to believe that and go, yeah. Yeah, we know about that God. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That would be the one true living God, the all-powerful God, the God who speaks things into being, that God. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I didn't read that very good. I need to do a better job. Because you know the most important thing you're going to hear today is the Scripture, not my explanation of it. Has shown in our hearts, that great, awesome God who speaks things into being, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, so that's unmatched, grandeur, greatness, in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's New Covenant talk, by the way, according to chapter 3. I think it's verse 6. In, in us, it, it, we've gone from the Old Covenant, which is good and important, but by definition, it's the Old Covenant, and it's always anticipating in the Old, the New Covenant, the new great reality, fulfillment in Christ. And he's saying, this is the greatest thing ever, 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 ever. We're talking about the grandeur and greatness of God and He's come to us in Christ by the power of the Spirit and He's shown in our hearts and what does He say? In the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate revelation of God. He, he's the apex. He, he's what we've all been waiting for forever and always. And so we're going to proclaim Him. We're going to do it today. We're going to do it next week. We're going to do it the next week. We're going to do it the next day. We're going to do it the next minute. And it's never going to get old because we're talking about God, the one true God, the only almighty great God, the all-powerful God. And how do we know Him? We know Him because of Christ, His Son. And He's come to us. It's personal. 
Jeremiah 31 kind of stuff, new covenant reality kind of stuff, new covenant reality kind of stuff. In the face of Christ, it's climactic. It's the ultimate. I don't even know how to end now. I already talked about my conclusion. It would be easy for us to go, yep, man, we're so good. The Apostle Paul refers to himself as chief of sinners. He referred to himself as that, as a Christian. What we don't need to do is get all excited about how great we are. And then we start preaching ourselves. But the Bible does call for boasting. It's boasting in someone else who meets your needs. Not modeled by me or someone else. It is in Christ. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. You will be rescued for time and eternity. Accepted by God. This is good for you to hear if you're a Christian. Because it will help you to not lose heart. It's good for you to hear if you're not a Christian. Because it will give you the truth about the one you need to trust in so that you don't lose heart. I'm going to pray and then we're going to serve the bread. And we're going to eat it at the same time. So please wait to be served. And we're going to serve the wine. And we're going to wait and drink it together. But please, 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 for the rest of your Christian life, remember... This is to be done until Jesus comes back again. And it's to be done. I can wait for you. It's to be done in remembrance of Him. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. Rest in Him. And it is out of gratitude that we want to then do right things. Rest leads to activity. Got to get things in the right order. Father, thank you so much for this morning and thank you for the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know something of his greatness because of what we have in your word and because of apostolic testimony. But Lord, we, we, we long to know better. We long for the day when we, we actually see Jesus. And as the Bible says, we are made like him, that we're transformed and we won't struggle anymore. And, Lord, remind us today as we are struggling people, as we are our pilgrim people, as we've been learning in First Peter, that as we eat and drink, we'll be reminded of how great it is to be able to rest in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.